Did you pass notes in elementary school? Anybody? You know the ones that asked if someone liked you and had the options of yes, no, or maybe? Be honest. Be honest. And then the wait for the reply was dreadful. It was horrible. The butterflies kept you on edge. You know, little, as a little kid, you just felt like it was an eternity before somebody replied back to you with their circle around one of those yes, no, or maybes, right? And you, you wait, and then you finally get the note back. And maybe circled. It's like, oh, <laughs> why do we even put maybe on there in the first place, right? Why did we do that? Well, that's kind of how we left Ruth last week, isn't it? She had presented herself to Boaz, saying, will you redeem and marry me, yes, no, or maybe? No, I don't, that's, that's not, that's, that's not in the text. It's in the original Hebrew. No, I'm just kidding, it's not. Will you redeem me and marry me? And he enthusiastically said, yes, but there's someone else before him that has the right to redeem and to, and to take care of Ruth. And if you remember, Boaz was like, I'm happy if you get redeemed one way or the other. But there's one closer than Boaz to actually be able to redeem her. And so Boaz is going to have to go clear this up before they can move forward. And it's a lot like when you receive the note in elementary school. And you, you liked the person, but you thought, maybe I have a friend that likes them too. And I need to go check with them and make sure that before I circle yes and send the note back, that my friend doesn't have feelings for them as well. And so I go, you know, find out from the friend and address the issue and I go, okay, yes, I like you. And I send the note back. And so Ruth chapter 3 closed with Naomi encouraging Ruth, butterflies and all, to wait on Boaz to do his work. And that he would not rest and he would seek to settle the matter, the matter that day. And in seeking to settle the matter, the matter that day, he's doing what a person who is in love would do. He's going to win his bride. And he's going to go to whatever lengths that requires. And so in chapter 4, we will see the work that Boaz does to redeem Ruth and make her his bride. We're getting to this point, right? We're getting to the, the culmination of the story. All the, ah, uh, hmm, are we even waiting for this? You know, we've, we've had to wear our muck boots through the beginning parts of the book, but now we're getting to some of the, the amazing parts of this story. And how in, in this union that becomes between Boaz and Ruth, how it's celebrated by those that witness it. How it's celebrated by those that witness it. And in the allegorical view of this story, Boaz is a type of Jesus. We've talked about Boaz being a type of Jesus. And Ruth is a type of somebody who's given themselves to Jesus. In the allegory we're going to see today is how Jesus redeems us and brings us into God's family. How Jesus redeems us and brings us into God's family. If we've presented ourselves to him, if we've given ourselves to him, what he does to make that possible. And so our one big idea for today is that our union with Jesus is what redeems us and brings us into the family of God, into God's family. That's what our focus will be. Our union with Jesus is what redeems us and brings us into God's family. 
So Ruth chapter 4, verse 1 and 2. Now Boaz had gone up to the gate and sat down there. And behold, the Redeemer of whom Boaz had spoken came by. So Boaz said, turn aside, friend, sit down here. Because that's all how we would normally talk, right? Hey, hey, turn aside here and sit down. (laughs) I don't know the last time that I used turn aside, but hey. Turn aside, friend, sit down here. And he turned aside and sat down. And he took 10 men of the elders of the city and said, sit down here. So they sat down. In those days, the city gate was where the official business was transacted. And it was done in the presence of elders. And Boaz shows up at the gate, and I love it. He grabs the Redeemer, and he grabs 10 witnesses, and he says, let's all sit down. And notice, I mean, it says, behold, the the Redeemer just happened to walk by. I think that that is probably possible, but I think we cannot lose the fact that this stuff is not coincidence. There's a reality that God is behind this story, and God is working, and God is moving, and this Redeemer shows up because God is at work, and he is moving in these people's lives. And so it's not just the happenstance that the Redeemer just happens to show up. God is in the work of this beautiful, special story. And so when we present ourselves to Jesus, God is at work in our redemption. God is at work in our redemption. Also notice that Boaz, the type of Jesus, sits down to begin the process. He sits down to begin the process of redemption, of redeeming. And it's mentioned numerous times in the New Testament that when Jesus finished the work that he did on the cross to make it possible to redeem us, what did he do? He sat down. When you sit down, it's almost like the job's done. The work is finished. It's a position of rest. So when Jesus went through his trip to and through the cross, his resurrection, his ascension, and his seating said all that needed to be done was done. All that needed to be done for him to be able to redeem us was finished. And him sitting down says there is nothing more that needs to be done. His redeeming of us comes from his completed work in a position of rest and victory. What Jesus did, there isn't any question. We're not sitting there going, uh, did, did he do it? Did he, uh, I'm not sure. Sometimes we act like that though, don't we? <laughs> Sometimes we question, is it re- was it really enough? Was it really enough for him to, what he did for me? Because I think I've maybe blown it way beyond what he, could do, what he could cover. But that's not the case. His redeeming, his work is a position of rest and of victory. And what else is beautiful is he shares that victory with us. So Ruth chapter 4, verses 3 to 4. Then he said, this is Boaz, to the Redeemer, Naomi, who has come back from the country of Moab, is selling the parcel of land that belonged to to our relative Elimelech. So I thought I would tell you about it and say, Bide in the presence of those sitting here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, redeem it. But if you will not, tell me that I may know, for there is no other besides you to redeem it, and I come after you. And he said, I will redeem it. Uh Uh-oh. Oh, no. Hallmark, everybody. 
There's a trouble in paradise. It looked like, oh, Ruth and, and Boaz are going to, oh, they're finally going to get to tie the knot. And this other guy's like, nope, I'll take the property. Uh, I'm, I'm in. There's trouble. What's going to happen? Well, we'll get there. But we know that Ruth and Naomi do not have the resources to redeem themselves. This redemption is not something that they can muster up in their own ability or their own strength. It has to be done by somebody else. And Boaz is willing to redeem, and so is this other redeemer. And this redemption is possible because these redeemers are related to them through relationship. Okay, so that's important to understand. They don't have what it takes. These guys are related to them because of their relationship to them through, through family relation. So for us, we are unable to redeem ourselves spiritually. We have no help or no hope in and amongst ourselves. It has to be done for us. For us to be redeemed, this has to be done for us. And it has to be done at our request and at our presentation of ourselves as we saw last week. That's our only hope. Here I am. Take me all that I am. I'm trusting on you to be able to do what needs to be done to redeem me. So redemption is something that is done for, for someone on, on their behalf at their request. And redemption must also be done by someone who is related to us. This is important because Jesus, who Boaz typified, typifies, became related to us by becoming flesh and blood. We're going to start celebrating that here pretty soon. Jesus becoming man, becoming human. He came in our likeness. And this is what makes him our kinsman and makes him have the right to redeem. He shared in our life, in our, in our existence. He entered in. But who is this other redeemer? I think this other redeemer is a picture of the law. The measure of right and wrong. The measure of good and evil. Again, we're going to start seeing these two trees play themselves out again. The law is the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. It's what we use to sort of measure. Jesus is the tree of life. And so this, this other redeemer, I, I might call him Mr. Law. <laughs> it's kind of interesting because he never has a name in the story. And he only appears here and we never hear of him again. But this is his one shining moment. One shining moment. That's coming up in March. March Madness, everybody. We're not too far away. So in Deuteronomy 30, 16, 16, why do I think law? Deuteronomy 30, 16, Moses says, if you obey God's commands, you will live. Paul in Romans 7, 10 says that the commands given were intended to bring life. This means that the law has the right to redeem, the right to bring life from death. Since we have knowledge of good and evil because of the fruit of of the tree that was eaten and what we receive from that, law is inborn to us. We have a measure of right and wrong. It doesn't mean that we can do it, but we have a measure of right and wrong. We're going to swap you out. All right. Second, there's some gremlin. 
How's this? All right, so in Deuteronomy 30.16, I'm going to go back to that. Moses says, if you obey God's commands, you will live. Paul says in Romans 7.10 that the commands given were intended to bring life. This means that law has the right to redeem, bring life from death. Since we have the knowledge of good and evil because of eating the fruit, because of what Adam and Eve passed on, Law is inborn to us, and being inborn to us gives it the nearest right to redeem. Well, let's continue on. Ruth 4, 5 through 6. Then Boaz said, the day you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you also acquire Ruth the Moabite, the widow of the dead, in order to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance. Then the Redeemer said, I cannot redeem it for myself lest I impair my own inheritance. Take my right of redemption yourself, for I cannot redeem it. Boaz out? Whew! Nope. Not so fast. Boaz is shrewd. Did you see how he kind of layered this in waves? Hey, here's this piece of property. Oh, I'll take the piece of property. Oh, hey, also Ruth the Moabite comes with it. Oh, no, wait, I can't do that. That will impair my own. He didn't realize that there was responsibilities to Ruth, who is a Moabite, and the Redeemer's responsibility is to have a child to continue the line of Malon, who uh, Ruth was married to, which continues on the family of Elimelech. And this is just too much for this Redeemer. I mean, it could be that Ruth is a Moabite, and being a Moabite... Jews were not supposed to marry Moabites. That might be one of the reasons why he couldn't do it. But more likely, it was the requirement of having a son with Ruth that would then be actually not his sons, but Malon's son, so that he could carry on the inheritance of Malon. And so this, the Redeemer, having a son basically on behalf of Malon, would put his estate at risk because everything that would have gone to him alone into his family line has to now be divided between his line and Malon's family line. And so it puts his inheritance in sort of a, a, a sketchy place for himself. And so he wasn't willing for that to happen. The cost was too large for this man to, to take. Too big for me, too rich for my blood, I'm going to back out. Now, you also may be wondering, maybe you've wondered this in this whole process, why isn't Naomi the one who should be the one getting married, right? Maybe you've thought that in this whole journey, because it's Elimelech's property, right? Well, no, what happened is when Elimelech died, all of what he had went on to his two sons. The inheritance was passed. And so now the, the sons were responsible to care for their mother because they had the inheritance. And so what came with the inheritance when both of the sons died was Orpah and Ruth. They were the ones that who, who should have been included in the redemption process. And, and Ruth and Orpah were a part of that inheritance and that redemption. And this is what's really interesting. We haven't heard her name since chapter 2, I think. Maybe it's chapter 1. Orpah. Right here we see where or Orpah lost what she lost in self-interest. In returning to her people and her gods, she forfeited the right to be able to be redeemed. She should have been included in this redemption. 
or the inheritance should have been split between the two sons. She should have received some. Uh, Ruth should have received some. But sadly, Orpah missed out. She forfeited the opportunity for redemption and inheritance. But Ruth, remember Ruth, her name means beauty, seeking faith, having a faith of seeking has given her op- has been now given her opportunity for redemption. And Ruth, being the one who took faith and walked forward and took steps toward God, gets the whole family inheritance. She gets the full right because Orpah gave it up for her people and her gods. So the Redeemer's unwillingness to redeem, though, shows us how the law has the right to redeem, but it doesn't have the power to bring life from death. See, the law is an interesting animal because the thing that's interesting is that for the law to have accepted Ruth as a Moabite, it would be to violate itself because the law has demands perfection. And if, you're, if you can't be perfect, if the law makes any sort of exception, it negates itself. Listen to Romans 7.10. It says, I found the very commandment that was intended to bring life actually brought death. See, the problem with law is that it can only attempt to redeem the external, the outside actions. It is unable to deal with the internal, with the inside. Law cannot address inside motives. Law can't change the core of somebody spiritually. And when I'm talking about law, I'm talking about trying to live a life going, I need to do more good and less bad. When our life is driven that way, we're trying to change ourselves through performance. And when when the law is charged with changing a person in that way from the inside out, do you know what it says? It says, I can't do it. I don't have what it takes. I can only try to adjust the external motives and actions, but I cannot change the heart. I cannot change the spiritual condition. But does that mean the law doesn't have any redemptive quality? No, it does. It has some redemptive quality. The quality of redemption that it has is it has a purpose, and that purpose is to show us that self-effort in and of itself driven by the knowledge of good and evil, that in doing that, living out of this performance, living out of good and evil, that when we do that, the law shows us we have no hope. Because the law demands perfection, and we can never meet the perfection the law demands. The law can't redeem us like this redeemer can't redeem Ruth. It has to throw up its hands and says, I I can't. It must hand its right of redemption over to somebody else, over to Jesus. That's the law's job. Listen to Galatians 3, 21 to 25 with me, okay? Is the law then against the promises of God? Certainly not. For if there had been given a law which could have given life, truly righteousness would have been by the law. So if there was a law that could have changed you internally, spiritually, Paul's all for it, but he's saying that's not the case. But the scripture has confined all under sin that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. 
But before faith came, we were kept under guard by the law. We kept for the faith which would afterwards be revealed. Therefore, the law was our tutor to bring us to Christ, that we might be justified not by performance, but by faith. But after, the, after faith has come, we no longer are under a tutor. So the law, the knowledge of good and evil, doesn't give life. It doesn't redeem. It can't bring life from death. It was never meant to. It actually brings death. Its purpose is meant to drive us to Jesus, who is life, who gives life. It's meant to drive us. See, the way that the law works is we try to make life work where we're trying to, to you know, perform well and not step out of the bounds. And as we're walking, it's kind of like a tutor following behind us with a stick. And we step out of bounds, and he whack, and we're like, ah, oh, I don't like that. Right? And then I walk over here, and it's like, whack, oh, I don't like that. And we just, we keep walking. It's like, whack, whack, oh, 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 right? And we're like, I'm so sick. Would you stop? Sorry, can't. And it's whacking us to a point where it's trying to drive us to something better, to Jesus. The law's purpose in your life is to reveal that fleshly self-sufficiency doesn't cut it. You can't do enough good to outweigh the bad. Those things are meant to say, there's at some point you just got to go, I can't do this anymore. And Jesus finally goes, finally. The law did its job. I'm right here. Come on. Your legs look a little beat up. The purpose of the law, the purpose of Jesus, the law drives us to Jesus. And Jesus is the one who can redeem a whole person, not from the outside in, but from the inside out. There it is. This is what I talked about when I, talked, when I was candidating. This church needs to be about inside-out living, which is being about Jesus. It's being about Jesus changing who we are, changing us spiritually, not us trying to change ourselves through a list of rules and regulations. We're changed through a relationship, through a union, through a marriage. Ruth 4, 7 to 10. Now this was the custom in former times in Israel concerning redeeming and exchanging. To confirm a transaction, the one drew off his sandal and gave it to the other, and this was a manner of attesting in Israel. So when the Redeemer said to Boaz, buy it yourself, he drew off his sandal. Then Boaz said to the elders and all the people, you are witnesses this day that I have bought from the hand of Naomi all that belonged to Elimelech and all that uh, belonged to Kilian and Malon. Also, Ruth the Moabite, the widow of Malon, I have bought to be my wife. Yay. To perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance, that the name of the dead may not be cut off from among his brothers and from the gate of his native place. You are witnesses this day. I love it. The sandal, right? You know, <laughs> Like, I, so many things go through my mind. One is, like, I don't know if you've ever had a pair of sandals. I've had some that I've had to throw out because I've worn them long enough that you take them off and you're like, whoa, I, 
like, bro, keep your sandal. Like, hey, we'll do it by, and I'm going to give it right back to you because I don't want to smell that. <laughs> you know? You know, there's a part of me that thinks of, like, French history, right, where they would slap each other with a glove. I'm glad that the, the process here wasn't take off the sandal and then slap somebody across the face to show the transaction went, went through. You know, there's all kinds of thoughts as far as it really, I mean, and then it's like, did the guy get the sandal back? Or did he go home, you know, kind of limping because he only, and he's like, oh, that was my good pair. I didn't know I was going to do business today. I would have worn my other pair. I mean, there's all kinds of things, right? But see, a sandal um, is handed over to seal the deal. And it's done because likely it was the command given to Israel to walk on the promised land and to possess it. And so the handing of a sandal was giving up the right to walk on a piece of property and to possess it. So he's saying, this is not mine anymore. This is now yours to walk on and to possess. And so that was how the transaction was handled. The other thing that's really interesting is that redeem by purchase is used at least 15 times in this interaction. Redemption has a cost. To set free requires that a price be paid. And Boaz has the resources to do it, to redeem. He pays the price and all the holdings on the more all the holdings on the property like a mortgage are released. It's freed from any bondage to it. It's released. So Boaz, he buys the whole inheritance which included Ruth, but it also included Orpah. And again, I'm just going to point back to this. Orpah is not redeemed. She did not choose God and his people. She chose her people and her gods. And that is heartbreaking. And that there would be more Ruths and less Orpas. Right? More Ruths and less Orpas. So Boaz, though, I want to point this out. He didn't buy Ruth just as property. Well, I'm going to, give me your sandal, I'm buying property. No, he bought her to marry her. He loved her. He wanted her to be his wife. He wanted to fully redeem her, to bring her into the family, and in doing so, completely changing who Ruth is and how she would live her life going forward. Whew, right? It's like a stillness all of a sudden just settles. Jesus paid the price for your redemption. All of it, every single cent that was owed, he paid it and then some. He bought us com completely, taking us as we were. I remember a guy growing up in high school that, was, that wanted to play drums with us, and we were part of Young Life. And he kept going, I'm just not clean enough. I need to get clean to come to Jesus. And I remember my Young Life leader sitting down with him, and I don't even remember the guy's name, but I remember this conversation. He said, you know what? You don't take a bath to get clean. Sorry, that doesn't sound right. You don't get clean to take a bath. <laughs> Sorry. Everybody's like, well, wait, wait, no. 
Sorry. You don't get clean to take a bath, meaning it, you're trying to cleanse yourself before you come to Jesus, who is the one that will clean and redeem and take care of all of this stuff. That illustration went over badly. Oh, well. So he bought us completely, taking us as we were. And he removed us from the bondage that held us. And guess what? He didn't pay for you so that you could be a worker. He did not pay for you for you to be a worker. It doesn't mean you don't work, but he paid for you to be his bride. To be his bride, his beloved, his betrothed. And I have a bride. We love to work together. We love to cook in the kitchen together. We love to go get groceries together. But I didn't marry her for those things. I married her because I loved her. Because I wanted to spend life with her. Because I wanted to share my life with her. And for her to share her life with me. So Jesus paid the price and he took us completely because he wanted us to be our, his bride. He wanted to marry us. He wanted to bring us into his family, into the family of God. He wanted to completely change who we are for us to have a new way to live life, a complete new way that we function, a complete new way that we operate that starts not out here but in here and works its way out here. And if you spend your time out here, this will never get touched. And it won't change. Because it can't. Because the law, the external, the performance, the do's, the don'ts, they don't change a person. They don't change the heart. Only Jesus changes the heart. And so maybe you have been somebody who has done that, has been trying to change out here, and you're exhausted. That's what you're supposed to be. Because you're meant to be exhausted where you go, I need something else. I need someone else. And Jesus goes, I'm right here. I've been waiting for you to say that. Ruth 4, 11 through 12. Then all the people who were at the gate and the elders said, we are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your house like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the house of Israel. May you act worthy in Ephrathah and be renowned in Bethlehem. And may your house be like Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah, because of the offspring that the Lord will give you by this young woman. With marriage comes celebration, excitement. I mean, I love it as a pastor, the few weddings I've gotten to do, where it's like, I'm, you know, I'd like for the first time introduce you as Mr. and Mrs. So-and-so or Mr. What, you know, however we decide to go about that. And the, woo, yeah, let's go, right? This is what's happening. This has just been the pronouncement. Ruth is now Boaz's, and they can be married, and there is celebration, and there is blessing spoken over Ruth. Blessing. That she would be like Rachel and Leah, that she would be fruitful, Rachel and Leah had 12 sons. These are the 12 tribes of Israel that comes out of Rachel and Leah. And Rachel and Leah's story is rough, and there's a lot of back and forth, but there's redemption that comes out of it. 
And then that she would be like Perez, which Tamar bore to Judah? <laughs> My Bible people in the room go, really? You know the story of Tamar? It's scandalous, folks. Very scandalous. If there's children in the room, plug your ears for a few minutes. <laughs> I think they're all upstairs. Tamar is a daughter-in-law of Judah. She had married two of his sons, the second to redeem the first, and both die. Judah believes that Tamar killed them, so he will not give his third son to her. He refuses her the right of redemption. This girl will not be denied, and I'm not condoning what she did, but she acted like a prostitute. She hid her face, she dressed up, and she lured Judah to sleep with her. And Judah slept with her. And she got pregnant. And Judah finds out, and he's going to have her killed. And he had given her something of his that she sends back and says, this is your son, or this is your child. I don't think she knew it was a son because they didn't have ultrasound back then. This is yours. And Judah does what's right, and he takes Tamar as his wife, and that is Perez. It's messy, it's ugly, but it's redemption. And they are celebrating. They're saying, may Ruth be like Tamar. May what seems scandalous, a Moabite entering into the family of God, may it be redemptive. The people want Ruth's story to be another redemption story. And they want offspring. They want offspring. What's offspring? It's life begetting life. It's life coming out of life. It's more life. And it's life that they say comes from the Lord through Ruth as the mother of that life. So in this, we see that after we offer ourselves to Jesus, he takes us as his. He joins us to himself. It says in 1st or 2nd Corinthians, I'm drawing a blank right now, but it says, those who are joined to the Lord are one spirit with him. Union, joined together. He joins us to himself. We are redeemed, and it is witnessed by people here on earth. But it is also witnessed by the Holy Spirit, and it is also witnessed by a great cloud of witnesses in heaven. And there is great celebration, and there is blessing spoken over us when we enter into the family of God. We know that redemption deals with our failings, with our sins, with our failures. But we also see here much more. We see that Jesus redeemed us and bought, bought us and then brought us into the family. He brought us into the family, and in bringing us into the family, we now have the ability to be fruitful. In Galatians, fruit of the Spirit, not fruit of you, not fruit of your performance, fruit of the Spirit inside out. You will be fruitful because of your joining to Jesus. Not fruitful because of our efforts apart from Jesus, with the law. That's impossible. It's fruitful because of our joining to Jesus. We are able to act worthy 
because we are worthy. And not out of our own self, but because Jesus sees us as worthy. And what he did, he said, that's worth it. Just like Boaz saw Ruth and said, you're worth it. God looks at you and says, you're worth it. And because you're worth it and he thinks you're worth it, he has made you worthy. We bring fame to Jesus by living lives that are his life. Our lives, as we let our life that is joined to his life express itself, it brings fame to Jesus. It brings honor to Jesus. Our lives are another story of redemption. And I will tell you that those around this church, those you go to work with, those in this country, those in the countries around the world, they are desperately looking for stories of redemption to believe that it's possible. Do you know how I know it? How many movies, superhero movies, how many Star Wars, how many movies where the bad guy turns and life is changed and he's a hero now? The world is screaming out for true stories of redemption. They're desperate for it. They're waiting. I think of Switchfoot, their song, I dare you to move. I dare you to pick yourself up off the floor. And that's not in your own effort. It's in connection with Jesus. I dare you to move. I dare you to live a life of redemption. A story that says, I am a redeemed one. It's a high calling. And it's because, it's possible because of our union with Jesus. And our union with Jesus is what makes it possible for life to flow from us, coming from the inside out, working its way out, and hitting the people around us. There was a song we would sing as little kids, you know, spring up a well, something, something, goosh, goosh, splash, splash, right? That's the idea. There's a well of Jesus inside of you that's trying to get out. Stop capping it by performing so hard. And join with him in what he wants to do in and through you. So I'm hoping that you're seeing that redemption is far more than just a get-out-of-jail-free card. That it's far more than a golden ticket on a train ride to the polar whatever, you know. It's it's not a, a ticket on a train to heaven. It's, those are great things, and those are a part of the package. But there's so much more that needs to intersect with life today. Redemption involves a redeeming that happens in this moment, in this breath that you're taking. Redemption is complete transformation of who we are. It's a complete change of who we are. And I want to circle back to one thing that's important in this is because what's important, one of the things that's important as far as it is for transformation and change and redemption is what redeemer are you trusting in? 
Are you trusting in the law or are you trusting in Jesus? Are you trusting in your performance or are you trusting in his performance? The law, which is scales of right and wrong, good and evil. Is this, I need to put a balance over here to balance over there. Try to keep the scales balanced out. And that's how I'm trying to generate life. Remember early on in Ruth, I said sometimes we can do good and think that we're producing life. And that is probably the worst place we could be. Because what's really true is Jesus is the one who produces life in us and through us. Not the law, not our performance. See, and the reality is I, I would not be truthful if I didn't tell you that those of us who are Christians can still, still attempt to use the law to find life. And how do we do it? We try to find life through the law, through success, through our own redeeming of ourselves, through trying to make ourselves worthy. Fill in the blank. I'm sure things are coming to mind, the things you've tried to do to make yourself feel like you have life. But it doesn't work. And it's not supposed to. It's supposed to wear you out and drive you to Jesus and to call on his name. Not just for that initial saving, but for every breath of every moment of every day. Jesus, I can't take the next step without you. I can't take the next breath without you. Apart from you, I am nothing. But with you, I am all things. Those were two scriptures, by the way. John 15, apart from you, you can, apart from me, you can do nothing. And Philippians 4, 13, with him you can do all things. It's that simple. It doesn't say with the law. It says with Jesus. So remember, the law's purpose, if you're experiencing the law in your life, it's not for me to sit up here and beat you about, but if you're feeling death in your experience, if you're feeling weakness because you can't measure up to what's demanded of you, embrace it. Stop fighting against it and receive it with open hands and go, this is exactly what I'm supposed to be experiencing because I'm supposed to be calling out to Jesus, not praying to myself. And in, in calling out to Jesus, we don't find death, we don't find weakness, we find life, the one who offers life. And because we need to understand that as Christians, we're not married to the first Redeemer. We're not married to Mr. Law. We've been married to the second Redeemer, to Jesus. That's our husband. And when we live... That way, that's when we're able to enjoy the fullness of the redemption that he's offered us. You will not receive and enjoy the fullness of the redemption that Jesus has offered you if you have an affair with Mr. Law. If you live as a person who's redeemed, who's still living in weights and measures and scales, that's not how you were meant to live. You were meant to live in a love relationship with Jesus that, that moves you, that guides you, that draws you. This is big, and it pushes buttons, and if you're uncomfortable with it, I'm sorry. I understand. Because there was a point in my life where I had to look in the mirror and say, Mike, you can't cut this. You don't have what it takes. And I can't tell you the... Oh, 
Just to say the words out loud were powerful. So Ruth's story is not finished. We've got one more week following Thanksgiving. And we're going to see how out of this marriage, what it means to live as a redeemed person. What are some of the benefits? What are the things that happen? And that will be where we will conclude this amazing story next week. Can I pray for you? Let's pray. Father, thank you so much. Thank you for the gift of the law. Thank you that it has a purpose that you have clearly laid out through many people in Scripture, that its purpose was hopefully to bring life, but not really. That its purpose was to reveal that life cannot be found in ourselves. That life can only be found in your son, Jesus. May we realize and come to the reality of who Jesus is in our lives, who he desires to be, that we would live out of our marriage to him and stop running to other things that would help us try to feel like we have life in ourselves. Father, that we would love the fact that being in union with Jesus, we have been totally redeemed. And we get the privilege to learn what it means to live as those redeemed people and that we are people who are in the family of God. We are brothers and sisters of Jesus, children and co-heirs with Christ. May we celebrate that today. In Jesus' name, amen.